guys, welcome back to Teen Muscle Radio and episode number 35. So I'd like to start this episode actually with a brief apology with regards to the episode frequency. Obviously we lost an episode last week. I think just the, 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 the guests that I wanted to have on and everyone in the busy summer period with body power and expos and all of this jazz, it's, it's getting a little bit more difficult to get people stuck down to times, but we've got a very exciting episode to bring you this week. I am joined by Connor Ross, and Connor is going to, basically we're going to have a chat with regards to the influence of genetics on muscle gain, fat loss, training for female versus male, like we're just going to have a great back and forth discussion, so to give the listeners a bit more of an idea about yourself, Connor, just give them a brief intro and and just tell tell them why you're here and what we're going to talk about. <laughs> yeah, thanks for that, AJ. Um, so, yeah, um, my name's Connor. I am a third-year undergraduate student at the University of Aberdeen. Um, I study – it's a long title, so get ready for it. <laughs> uh, so I study human embryonic developmental uh, – sorry, mammalian developmental and stem cell biology. Okay. Basically, what that encompasses is I primarily study how organisms develop from the point of fertilization, the entire process, which is just absolutely unbelievable, all the way up until birth. Um, it's you know it's it's an amazing um, amazing course. I'm also an active researcher. I do lots of laboratory work and co-editing and 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 loads of other bits and pieces. And I'm hopefully you know inspiration from yourself AJ that I am actually going to be starting up my own um, podcast soon just addressing you know basic science but in a more broader context for things like you know why do people get cancer why do we age what causes gray hairs you know stupid things like that you know that people think well why does that actually happen I'm going to talk about them and things like that so um, but yeah so I've always been passionate about science ever since I was a young lad um Amazing. No, that sounds awesome. I'm so pumped that you're going to get into a podcast. I think I, I, I'd be very game to listen to that for sure. It's it's always those things that you just wonder, like, why why do these things happen? And, like, you want someone to just explain all the weird shit that you'd never know um, and just, just really open your mind. So, yeah, no, I'm pumped for this episode. And I think we're going to have an awesome chat. So um, if you could also as well, Connor, just give listeners an idea as to how you developed your sort of passion for health and fitness and and what your sort of role plays in regards to knowing more about sort of fitness and nutrition um, and, and how you got into that? Well, if I'm honest, the reason I got into um, the fitness side of things was two twofold reason, really. The okay. first reason was because I was a little fat fuck at school. <laughs> I was one of these kids who used to sit on their arse doing jack shit with their free time apart from reading books. And in the summer, I used to spend an absolute crap load of time out, I know it sounds really gay, chasing butterflies and catching frogs and stuff like that, you know, just spending time in the moors around my estates and things like that. And that's what I used to do when I was a kid. The second reason I got into the fitness was obviously because of the science. Um, I fell deeply in love with the science and then it just, just somehow just married up to the fitness and then yeah. now that you know my progression you know in the gym and progression at university have just combined together and it's just it's not something I'm absolutely sensational about but it's definitely something that kind of draws me off my main area of 
um, studying and it's it's just it's just really really is amazing um and i always get asked a lot of questions about you know like this kind of area like mm. you know, how does your science collate with your your fitness and you know why does this happen and why is this guy bigger than me but this guy isn't you know and it's like well it's a very complex answer yeah. but this help you so that's where my span of fitness comes in to be fair they marry each other perfectly yeah no okay awesome amazing so that's yeah I, I think people just get intrigued by different things and obviously you've got intrigued by fitness and from a very young age you were interested in sort of this process and and how things develop so no, it's, it's awesome to see where you are now and you're obviously very passionate about it just like I'm very passionate about bodybuilding you know that's my thing and you know it's it's, it's cool that you found your thing mate for sure so we know that when it comes to bodybuilding or muscle gain that genetics matter a huge amount and that the capability or the uh, the maximum uh, ability to build muscle and your peak potential is quite influenced by your genetic factors now if you could just explain from the bare bottom of things why are people different and why do people have different genetics literally just explain the basics of that well oh that's a an amazingly good question uh, mm. it's the golden question to be fair uh -huh. so i'm going to try my best to explain this as well as i can and there is going to be a lot of science but i'm going to try my absolute best to try and explain it from the very bottom and we're going to work our way up okay amazing go for it all right so the first thing we need to f understand is that yeah everybody is different okay mm. believe it or not humans are the least genetically diverse organisms on the face of planet earth oh, wow okay? we, we 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 are the least diverse that's yep. just incontrovertible okay we between each other so between me and you aj we share around about 99.99.2% identical DNA, okay? Okay. And the reason we are different is because our genotypes, which is basically your genetic makeup, your DNA, okay? So if we took a strand of your DNA, your genotype is your DNA basis. It's going to be different than mine. Mm -hmm. There's no there's no disputing that fact. You know, you can tell that just because you know, you're like five times the size of me, you know? So that's just that's just a basic explanation of that. The human genome is huge. It consists of around about three billion base pairs. Okay, and the concept being is that what you inherit from your parents, you you obviously naturally inherit yourself. Okay, so whatever your parents give you, you inherit. You do what you have to do with it, and that will determine what you come out to be. Mm. So from your parents to you, you'll inherit anything from eighty to hundred new mutations through the generations. Now that's not a lot. 10% yeah. of the human genome codes for proteins, the 90% doesn't, okay? Okay. The whole concept is, is that humans are constantly evolving. And anybody that tells you that humans are not evolving, give them a slap, okay? Because mm -hmm. it's bullshit, mm -hmm. all right? The reason we are so different from individuals, okay, and this is amazingly demonstrated, and we use this in genetics, are identical twins, okay? Now, people think identical twins are identical. They share identical DNA. There's no difference. You can't tell the difference between Bill and Bob, right? But that's false. You can. Mm. And the reason for that is down to two things. This is where we get a little bit more complicated, okay? Mm. So we have something called genetic background and something called genetic foreground, okay? okay. 
Genetic background describes an individual's DNA sequence that's made of the bases, cytosine, guanine, adenine, thiamine, okay? That can change from mutations and that can affect how your genes work. That's your genetic background, okay? Your genetic foreground are molecules that interact with your DNA that alter gene expression. Okay, mm. so you have your genetic background you inherit from your parents that can change over generations very, very slightly. And then you have your genetic foreground, which is, which I'll add now, is incredibly, incredibly influenced from your environment. Okay. So this whole concept, you would have heard of nature, nurture, yeah? Yeah, 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 yeah. This is where it comes from. Nature is your DNA, nurtures what you do as a kid to influence your DNA. And that's going to be the core of this topic that we're going to discuss, you know, later on. I'm going to come back to genetic background and genetic foreground. Okay, yeah. For people who want to know what that's called, we, we define genetic foreground as epigenetics. Okay? okay, that's the term that's given to it. Amazing. If you want to go research it, you're more than welcome to. Yeah. Um, and then <clears throat> this all boils down to, so if we're all different and twins share similar DNA but then can be different, how can people be different in terms of their their physiology that affects them in terms of bodybuilding. Yeah, yeah. And the thing that determines that is that athletic performance that we know of so far is what we call polygenic. It has lots of different genes affecting the same purpose, but they all have little small effects. So when we try to find these genes that we call candidate genes that are associated with somebody's propensity to gain ridiculous amounts of muscle mass in just a lean in a short time, and can stay lean, there are genes at work, but we cannot identify them because they have such a small effect. Mm. And some genes will mask the effects of other genes. So that's why, you know, your, your genetic foreground, your epigenetics, your influences as a child will, you know, influence your, your genetics. It's, it's from a critical, critical age that this happens. And, you know, geneticists are obviously trying to find that out so when people say are you born a world-class athlete actually no Arnold Schwarzenegger his famous quote um legends or champions are not born they are built mm. that's very true mm. very true. they are not born you are not born to be anything like that mm-hmm. you're not born to be a swimmer you're not born to be a champion bodybuilder you are built you are tuned in to be that Mm. All right. That's incredible. That's incredible. I think I answer that question. Yeah, no, that's awesome. That yeah, I'm just gonna sit here with with you know, quite open eyes and and just sitting here listening is is very very cool. Like already, I think that this is gonna be a really really cool episode. <laughs> just to just to sort of say that I think what I'm yeah. what I'm interested to know is that looking at obviously the epigenetics side of things or the the foreground yeah the foreground if we could spot characteristics that good athletes or good bodybuilders have could we potentially breed very good bodybuilders as a response to this or do you think that the background has a influential role that could take over this breeding effect of just the foreground if the first the first problem would be to identify the candidate genes associated with athletic performance. Like I said before, this is polygenic. There are lots of genes at work and they all have very, very small attributes overall. 
So the genes that are obviously involved in, you know, hypertrophy, myofibrillar hypertrophy, which is primarily what everybody wants to aim for. Everybody wants to aim for those gains. Yeah. And, you know, that's what you want to be aiming for. If you want to be, you know, trying to stay lean, you know, things like even um, muscle proportions, your muscle belly size, things like that. These are all con- controlled by your genes and the way that they're expressed. And that's very heavy, again, on environmental factors as you do as a kid, which obviously we'll talk a tiny bit more um, a bit later on. In terms of trying to breed this selective line of bodybuilders, unfortunately, that's not quite possible in terms of being able to do it in a time scale that would be suitable. It would take a lot of generations to weed out these. Uh, this the It's kind of trying yeah, to do... Yeah, it's trying to do natural selection basically on a very small <laughs> time scale. Unfortunately, natural selection evolution doesn't quite work on that and it takes thousands and thousands of years. But actually, to be fair, saying that, it's a good thing you said that because um, when we talk a little bit later about more about hypertrophy and I'll tell you a little bit more about the story in the background of it, we'll talk about the Greeks because there's a very interesting theory that popped up about the Greeks and how they related to hypertrophy. Okay. Uh, I, I, I have a good hypothesis or theory of why some people like yourself are, are, are really good at building muscle and, and building awesome physiques, and I've got a really good idea why that is. But we can discuss that later on. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's made me think of another few questions that I'd like to ask as well with regards That's to great. a few things. So, yeah, awesome. Okay, so to move on to sort of next topic, um, mm-hmm. is there any specific genetic traits or um, be it foreground or background that are specifically or directly related to bodybuilding in general that people should know or realize um there there are there are always genes at play that will you know elevate certain situations um genes that are associated with muscle retention um, the ability to stay lean year-round. These are very prominent um, genes that are associated with it. The thing that that boils down to is the efficiency of metabolic processes. So yeah, 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 yeah. that makes sense. The difference, for example, I'm gonna I'm gonna pull us two together because me and you are two opposite people. Okay, uh, allow me to explain why. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You the other day said you had a refeed of up to six hundred grams of carbohydrates, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You you took that in. I know you're you you're in your calorie deficit and things mm. like that. And you took that in and you didn't gain a single pound of mo- uh, a single pound of any kind of body, body mass. Yep, yep, yep. If I took those six hundred grams of carbohydrates and I ate them, I would get fat as fuck in no time. <laughs> that there is just a classic classic example of metabolic processes but it's more to do with the efficiency your body has a propensity to utilize energy and to to, to utilize carbohydrates um, in, in in specific ways yeah yeah and if your your metabolic processes that are defined as a child are not suitable for your needs then they counteract you okay mm-hmm. which is a big problem for me like obviously i had the spc five weeks ago I got down to the leanest body weight I'd ever been in my life, and five and a half weeks later, I'm a chubby fuck again. <laughs> and that's not because of I'm going out and eating loads of food and enjoying myself. It's just because my body just does not handle carbohydrates properly. And I know that because I've done a muscle biopsy on myself, and I've profiled my own body. I, prof- I profiled my own muscle, so I know exactly what it's doing. Would you, say, exactly- 
Would oh. you say, sorry to interrupt, Connor, would you say that that's also potentially relative to your body fat set point and potential genetic factors that influence that with regards to you feeling better or your body feeling more functional and more healthy at a higher body fat set point comparative to where you competed, hence why the initial big jump in body weight back to where you were more comfortable? And what's your opinion on body fat set point whilst you're there? Um, I, I would, I would say that my, yes, I do agree with body fat set points because that would be highly genetic. Yeah. And the reason for that is, is because if you go back to being a child, if you have child A who sits on their ass and does nothing all day, they're more likely to not utilize the energy storage correctly. Um, and they're, the more they have a higher potential to, to, to store fat because they're not utilizing it. Yeah. Where we have person B who's a, I don't know, a rugby player, right? Running around the pitches, getting clobbered off each other, potentially dislocating their hips left, right, and center, you know? They're going to need that energy. Their body is going to become acclimatized and ad- adapted perfectly for that. To okay? energy. This is why you see some of the best people in your field come from fitness backgrounds, come from sport backgrounds. Josh yeah. Bridgman did rugby. Sorry, Josh, if I got that wrong. Yeah. I love you, by the way, mate. Mm-hmm. Um, Josh Bridgman did rugby. Jeff Side or Cedar, whatever you call him, did wrestling. Yeah. And look at how. Yeah. He's a machine, right? Yeah. yeah. All these people who go away and do sports as a kid have basically set themselves up to get into resistance training. And if they have a lot of type 2 um, muscle fibers, which are the ones that are explosive and are involved in, you know, sprinters and things like that. I mean, look at Usain Bolt. He's yeah. like 50 years old and the guy's still got more muscle than like a 22 year old normal high testosterone <laughs> kid. All right, he's black. But yeah. you, you can't argue with that, okay? Yeah. Um, but at the same time, it's this concept that, you know, what you do as a child will just incontrovertibly just influence everything you do later on in life. It sets your life for an adult phenotype. Your, your, your phenotype is the observable effects of your genes, mm-hmm. okay? Mm-hmm. You know, if you if you've got good genes, oh sorry, I shouldn't say that. That's the thing we should also rule out. There's no such thing as good genes for something or bad genes for something. There's no such thing as that. Okay, okay. that doesn't exist mm-hmm. because you can't compare somebody's genes based on their ability to build muscle or their ability to retain information for an examination. Mm. They're two different things. You can't compare somebody. So when you see somebody in the gym, so for example, for you. I look at you, I see an awesome physique, very well-rounded, you know, you've done really well for the years that you've done, you're an overall good lad, <laughs> and I look at you and I say to myself, does AJ have good genes? No, he doesn't. What are we comparing him to? Mm-hmm. He just, he just, his body's just built that way. That's how it works. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Okay, awesome. No, I think that's an awesome answer. Okay, so next topic is, we're going to talk a little bit about training. So... With regards to training, a lot of the time people will think that because of their situation or their body type, they will think, oh, I, the the general comment is, Connor, I respond well to this type of training. And you'll see it more, and I mentioned this in my, in my notes that I sent across to you, with regards to very predominantly female trainees, they will say, I respond better to high rep training or i respond better to this and a lot of people (laughs) a lot of people if you're on video you'll see connor's head in his hands um 
a lot of people a lot of people will say this that they feel like they have mastered their craft when it comes to knowing exactly what training they respond perfectly to with regards to hypertrophy so what's your opinion on this and and, and what can we take from potential genetic factors that may have an influence on the perfect training program all right it's a very very good question and i'm just going to straight off the belt say two things number one bullshit and number two the term okay this is the, this is one of this 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 is one of two of the world's best terms number one one size fits all mm-hmm. you can hear that everywhere one size fits all you want to go to a costume shop you want to hire a thing oh well just have this it fits everybody well you're fucked if you're an absolute massive fat guy because you won't fit in the, you won't fit in the pants will you this is this one size does not at all fit everybody okay mm-hmm. despite our genetic similarities everybody is different because we cannot control what everybody did as a kid yeah okay we're different that's the end of that you then mentioned about the differences between male and female training and maybe you know like things like that sort of stuff and you know people mastering their own ways of training everybody will respond differently to training i can tell you this straight away because i used to do four sets of the eight or 12 rep range for whatever exercises you know i used to go away do that Mm. only since i finished spc i've changed it um to the josh bridgman and trained by jp low volume ridiculous intensity style workouts and it's just a total different change total different ball game absolutely i my body has responded to it very well and i'm not going to say that i've gained 20 pounds of muscle in five weeks because that's bullshit (laughs) but you can tell when your body responds to something because you yourself notice the subtle changes, but somebody else says something. When somebody else says, "Oh, you look a bit wider," I'm, I'm well, I'm, you know, you could just say I'm just got fatter. But at the same time, no, it's because of the training. So, anyways, moving back onto the point, um, the differences between men and women. There's a there's a there is a bit of a fine dividing line. Okay. The one thing that people have to understand is that. Males and females are similar but different in terms of hormones. Their hormones reflect their, you know, their physiology, which we also know from chromosomes because XX makes a a woman, XY makes a man. Women in general, I'm probably going to get punched for saying this, but anyways, these are generalizations, okay? Don't don't go with like, oh my God, he said this, he's got to be this. These are generalizations. These next things I'm going to say are generalizations that are applied to a population. They're not applied to an individual person. Women on the whole have a lower mean, uh, have a, a lower um, muscle mass index and they have a higher body fat percentage. Okay? True. Yeah, I agree with that. The main influences for this are hormones because they are totally different. Men primarily drive off testosterone, women off estrogen, okay? Yeah. Fertility. Fertility is huge, okay? And this is where I goes into my area because women need that extra fat for pregnancy, okay? Yeah. That's one of the reasons why. And I'll tell you that a little bit later on when we talk about um, fat distribution and, and things like that. Mm. Generically, again, men overall have a significantly higher lean muscle mass overall, but they also have longer fibers, they have more fibers, and their axial diameters, which is basically if you took a section of a bicep, it's basically looking straight on, is a lot higher. Yeah. Okay, And this is before they even start touching weights, right? Exactly, yes. yeah. 
Exactly. Um, a 2003, very famous 2003 piece of literature said, turned around and said this, that um, at the start of puberty, males have around 150% lean muscle mass over a woman. Mm. That's that's quite phenomenal. And that is just purely <laughs> testosterone. Yeah. Testosterone is amazing. And if anybody else turns around and says there's a more anabolic hormone, if anyone says insulin, I'll punch them. Then <laughs> testosterone... It's, it is testosterone. Testosterone is the most anabolic um, substance. Uh, and this is correlated because women don't produce estrogen naturally. It's converted from testosterone. They produce testosterone and it's converted by aromatase to estrogen. Okay. So the main thing, the differences between a man and a woman is basically that women have um, less upper body mass, but more lower body mass. Yeah. The you know this is why women can can build unbelievable glutes like they are the king of glutes mm-hmm. and it's just crazy. You look at a girl and she's like, oh my god, look at your ass. <laughs> why she's got a nice ass? And I'll tell you why she's got a nice ass is because it's all linking back to pregnancy. The reason for this is is when a woman falls pregnant and the embryo develops into the fetus, the fetus is growing ridiculously fast. It's you know it's growing, it's growing, it's growing. The the fetal mass increases. The woman has to have more blood. She has to have more blood cells. So her body mass increases. How on earth can a woman, you know, cope with this adaptation if her muscles of her legs aren't willing to adapt alongside of it? You know, believe it or not, I have seen it that women will complain of leg doms as they get more and more pregnant because their quads, their legs are literally hypertrophying alongside the increase in the baby. Wow, interesting. So, yeah. Um, Don't train your legs, just get pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's a good, that's good. Yeah, mate, I would prescribe that to your female clients. Yeah, that's a protocol I'm going to input now. That's the main take home from this podcast, probably. <laughs> yes. If you want to grow a bigger leg, women, bigger legs, women, just get pregnant. Get knocked Enjoy up. <laughs> okay, cool. Um, I think that makes a lot of sense and answers the question a lot. Um, With regards to sort of females as well okay so something as a coach that i've seen quite frequently is that females will be able to not only respond or adapt better to potentially higher rep or increased volume but also they'll be able to look so increased training volume by sets weight reps but they'll also be able to have this ability to make a weight that looks incredibly heavy for one rep but then suddenly complete five six more reps with it whereas a male would do that one incredibly hard rep and then just rack it and not be able to complete anymore so with regards to how that works and why females why females can actually accrued more training volume without as much fatigue and also they can seemingly uh, rep out weights that are potentially higher percentage of their one rep maxes. Why Why does that happen? Do you have any explanation as to uh, why that happens besides females obviously having more potential type 2 fibers? That's more than likely what it is. When you mentioned higher rep ranges, lower fatigue yeah. and power, those are you know attributes of different fiber types yeah. you know when you're talking about the high power the fast contractibility the um the low fatigue resistance um you know you 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 are 
you con you are considering the type two fibers and and one would be drawn to the concept that women would more than likely have different fibers uh, fiber potency in terms of their con uh, their composition um to men you know this is this is the thing muscle fibers are very what we call heterogeneous they they differ okay you, you you won't find the same kind of muscle fibers in every single of your muscle groups you know this is why some muscles you know for example your calf muscles may fatigue faster or slower than other muscles you know i've a lot of my friends can wrap out loads of bicep curls but as soon as they get under the bar to do some calf raises they, they pan out after five reps you know that's that is just entirely the concept that muscle fibers are are heterogeneous and um, the, the the problem arises is when we try to type the fibers to specific muscles because that's very hard to do because of random sampling um, but also to the concept of the individual um, the largest contributions of why we have a ratio of different fibers believe it or not is from the environment once again um, so yeah, you obviously have the two the two different types, type one and type two. Um, you know, I would personally think, I, to be fair, I don't even think I actually probably would know somewhere in my brain that women do have more type two fibers than type one fibers. They respond better to explosive exercises. That's why you probably see girls doing a lot of squat jumps and and, and things and <laughs> <laughs> things like that because that's how they would respond to it. Mm. Um, you know, but then you can also consider that perhaps they have a ratio of type one fibers because they can do higher rep ranges and they would respond to that. You know, there's, there's a lot of counter arguments that, that kind of go on about that. Mm -hmm. Um, it's quite actually funny you mentioned that because I did actually read in a piece of literature, this quote came up saying that when swimmers like Michael Phelps and Ian Thorpe hit the water or when Tom Daly leaps from the diving platform, we will be seeing the finest of the world's gene pools, the, the finest the world's gene pool has to offer. Mm. I've never heard so much bullshit in all my life. That single-handedly <laughs> single is the biggest pile of bullshit I think I've ever heard in my life. There is an absolute no way can you say that Tom Daly has the finest genes of the gene pool when you compare him to someone like Stephen Hawking, an absolute mastermind of physics and cosmology. I am sorry. That, that literature piece of literature just went straight in the bin. Absolute pile of bollocks. But yes, it's absolute bullshit. It's uncomparable. You know, you, it's, it's bullshit. Yeah. The interesting thing is, though, is you can't change your muscle morphology. You can't change the classes. Mm. You can't go from type 1 to type 2. You can only go from type 2A to type 2B. Ah, okay, That's yeah, it. that was literally what I was just about to ask you. You can't change them. You are, when, you, you know, as you're born, you go for infancy, you have a ratio of 50-50. Your okay. body wants to go on one path. Right. It can't go on both. It doesn't work like that, okay? You can only have one or the other. You know, so if you do a lot of sports that you're doing explosive, basketball players, this, 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 you're going to have a lot more type 2 fibers. If you're somebody who wants to go for massive long beach runs, you know, you're going to have a lot more type 1 fibers. So, again, genetic background, genetic foreground, your child, 
your environment, everything is just going to pull into it, and that is what's going to really affect the ratios of your of your muscle fibers. Yeah, yeah. So the, the the interesting thing about that, Connor, is like recently I did a well, very recently today, in fact, I released a video on cardio, and some of the thoughts were that, and I've heard this before, is like people will say, okay, lists versus hits, and then they'll say oh, you, you only want to do hits when you're dieting down for a bodybuilding show because the type of muscle fibers that you will be working through a hit workout will be more in line with your bodybuilding efforts, therefore match or allow you to potentially retain more muscle mass because of the type of exercise that you're doing. But if we if we look at it from a point of view that you can't realistically in that time scale change or adapt muscle fibers, then surely the cardio efforts that you pick, it, it really that that's really not a suitable argument. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that does. It makes total sense and it isn't a suitable argument based on the fact that I did just, yeah, I did just literate the fact that you would not be able to change the fibers. In any given time, it would take years and years and years of, you know, um, training it would be much like making mo farah start doing 100 meter sprints yeah that, yeah yeah well lad would just collapse he would he would he'd just fall apart yeah um, in terms of the cardios and and, and and different kinds of cardio to be fair the dividing line based on research is that they are both very good mm. okay the dividing line then comes down to do whether you can be asked to do one or the other preference it's down to preference yeah. if your mindset isn't perfect, you know, you might offer more the list, but then again, you've then got to consider if you're weight training, you're squatting, you're recovery. deadlifting, you, you've got to consider your recovery, exactly. But you've also got to consider your joints. <laughs> Some people don't consider this. Smashing you know, your joints, your, your joints, I squat twice a week, okay? Your joints take a fucking pounding. Mm. You've got to consider, you know, Hit training, if you're sprinting on a treadmill, you're sprinting outside, is a lot of impact on your joints. So, you know, really I, on, 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 <laughs> you, seem, you seem proud about that one. Yeah, um, am, yeah. <laughs> from my, my personal view, in terms of the, the, the composition, not only just of genetics, but more of the molecular biology of it, I would personally say that a balance is good, you okay. know, go with what you feel. You know, if you feel like you want to do some lists, then do some lists. You know, this bullshit, I'm sorry, right, about muscle atrophy. Oh, my God. When will we let this go? Seriously, you are not going to burn a single ounce of your muscle from doing anything fasted, okay? <laughs> if you want to do fasted cardio, do it. It's good. And it's good because you're not, you, you got, you, you're not interfering with insulin. The second you interfere with insulin, I know from in vitro studies like I explained at the beginning, I've seen this in labs, I've seen it in mice, in blood samples. The second you touch your insulin, that's it. That you fucked, you fucked your burden. Yeah, fat burning, that's it. Okay. May as well just go home. Mm -hmm. Okay? Yep, yep. That's, you know, that's what it is. So this, this concept of muscle atrophy, it needs to be dropped, okay? People need to stop fearing it. You know, mm -hmm. it's not a demon from the back of the woods or anything like that. You know, you can safely do fasted cardio for long periods of time and you won't burn, you know, your, your muscle. The reason that um, marathon sprinters are extremely skinny is because of the muscle fiber type, but also the fact 
how long a marathon lasts. Mm, okay. Okay. It's totally different. 20 minutes of faster cardio is not going to burn a single ounce of muscle. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what would you what would you sort of say with regards to fasted cardio? Would you say because obviously the the idea is that you're going to burn more fat in that session as a macronutrient, but the then the the calorie or the energy balance equation would surely even out throughout the day when you bring in carbs or you just balance out your nutrition to the fact that like if you burnt 200 calories in the morning fasted versus burning 200 calories midday after you've had some food like would the energy balance be well in my eyes it would be equal and the the burning of macronutrients wouldn't really differ that much i mean that's that's something that i'm interested in your opinion on um okay the the concept of calories in calories out Mm. is a very heated debate and a very heated topic not only in the science and fitness world Mm. but also in the molecular biology of what i study as well interesting personally I am not one who believes the strict fundamentals of calories in, calories out. And the reason for this is moving back to metabolic processes. And when I was telling you about the efficiency of why some people can, you know, utilize energy in a much quicker way than others, um, you know, the calorie, it's a very simplistic term. And it was derived from the the physicists originally who made it the, the dual um, you know, to apply to foods and things like that. And it's kind of a bit misconstrued at the minute. Mm. Um, you know, if you really want an accurate proportion of what you should be eating, you really want to actually be working in kilojoules as opposed to calories. And you can find kilojoules like literally right next to your calories. So wherever your calories are, so there's 286 calories in this. If you literally look to the left of it, it'll tell you the kilojoules. And, you know, this is kind of what you should be working off. I work off, I work off kilojoules. I don't work off calories anymore. Okay. I've I never cal- heard that in my entire life. Wow. Interesting. You, you, you see, this is the thing. You probably wouldn't. But I have two friends who are body – well, they're bodybuilders per se because obviously they go to the gym. They don't compete. Sure. They're physicists. They've done nothing but work off kilojoules all their life. All right, fine. Yes, their the, the genes and their environmental factors pay dividends to them. But they are, you know, very, very big. And they've done nothing but work off kilojoules. And I was talking to them about this the other day. And they said, you know, consider the first law of thermodynamics, Connor, that, you know, energy is not created nor destroyed. It is simply moved about in different energy systems. Mm. And this thing you have to concern when you're taking in nutrients and the concept of energy balance. So when you were saying 200 calories burnt in the morning compared to the afternoon, Depends on what you do in the afternoon that might influence it. Okay. Okay. So if you go in the afternoon, you go work out, you smash your carbs in, you would gain more benefit from burning 200 calories in the morning on an insulin-less um, scenario than you would in the afternoon. But in the grand scheme of things, you would you would benefit from both. Mm. But um you know, so is it is is the main emphasis for this is that it's negligible the difference between the two um the honest answer is i don't know good i'm happy I'm gonna, with that i'm gonna say i'm i'm not 100 sure because i don't have enough scientific background to that area yeah what i sure. do know is is if you take advantage of a fasted insulin state you will 
utilize your fat stores a lot more efficiently than what you would do than being in a, a fed state with carbohydrates in your system that's for i know sure. that I don't what's, mean what, what's interesting as well to interrupt is that actually looking at the literature on fasted cardio there's been actually pretty much no studies done on very lean individuals so wouldn't the fact that someone's really really lean actually make a potential difference to this scenario would you agree that doing some research on very lean individuals would provide some potential opening up of the eye as to whether this could be beneficial or not yes absolutely 100 i totally agree with you on that one mm. and the reason i agree with you on that one this is why i'm not very fond of the sports science community um, and why i try not to get mangled in too much is that their studies are very orientated towards overweight people but at the same time i can understand why because the thing you have to understand aj is for people to do research nowadays your research has to be aimed at either contributing to our understanding of disease or our treatment of disease. It's very expensive. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So if it doesn't cover one of those two things, then, you know, it's not really going to, you're not going to get the funding for it. Mm. So then back to your question, you know, would it benefit doing this and lean people? Absolutely 100%. Would they get the funding? No. Fuck no. <laughs> wouldn't even get looked at no the way. people would, people in the research would go yep yeah, yep yeah, this looks very interesting and then they'd open the filing cabinet labeled b-i-n put it in and that's it done <laughs> you wouldn't get funding but yes you are totally correct it should be done on lean people and a lot of these um uh, meta-analysis studies should be done on on individuals who come from fitness backgrounds yeah. as opposed to be done on overweight people but in terms of lean people and you know utilizing the faster cardio Again, it's just down to metabolic processes, really. Okay. That's, that's all I can really say on that one. Okay. Cool, 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 cool. Well, whilst we're on the topic of fat loss and obviously getting lean, I'd like to ask a question on... Obviously, we talked about body fat set points. So when we're dieting down, and you'll have seen my post on this recently, and you commented, I think, people will lose fat from different areas at different points of time. And people yeah. have areas that really become a struggle. And namely, this can be, what from what I've seen, gender specific to an extent. Yet, there are some outliers. Like myself, I tend to fall into the female category when it comes to body fat accumulation and my struggling points. Um, so, so what sort of influence is this from a genetic point of view? And a side question, if you can answer this at the same time, is have you seen or is there any evidence to back up the fact that once you get lean and regain weight, that body fat distribution can change? Right, okay. Uh, so the first, first part of your question was talking about fat distribution and the genetics involved in that. Yep, there is obviously naturally a lot of genetics involved in that and there is physiological differences involved in that. Okay. Women have a propensity to store their body fat around their hips, their bums, and their thighs. Okay. You will find that they also accumulate fat in their breasts, but, you know, that's totally natural. Again, the reason why women do these uh, these three places is again to do with pregnancy and fertility. Okay, that's why. That's the main difference. Why men tend to store their body fat in their lower back, sometimes in their neck, 
And believe it or not, some guys will store it in their glutes, around their glute area. Um, but then you've also got to consider that there's different there's different ways of storing fat, okay? So you have subcutaneous fat, which is what every bodybuilder is in, you know, wants to get rid of. They want to make sure it's gone because that's what makes sure that their muscles show through because of the layer where it's stored. You'd also have visceral fat. Visceral fat is surrounding your organs. It's essential fat. Your body needs that. Okay, so when you get to those dangerously low body fat percentages, which, by the way, on a side note, are grossly misproportionate, when somebody says they're 9% body fat and I look at them, I think no. you are not 9%, mate. No. You want to be 9%, I'll show you what 9% is, right? Come and, come and do this. And when somebody says, oh, yeah, I'm going for a DEXA scan to go and measure the body fat, bullshit. Still not accurate. You don't like them. No, the absolute garbage. They do not measure body fat. DEXA scans are used as a diagnostic tool for osteoporosis in hospitals. Bone density. They measure bone density, exactly. Hmm. Know your stuff, it's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so when somebody goes over a DEXA scan and says that, it's bullshit. If you want an actual proper indication, you can use the fat calipers and some of the formulas. Again, not accurate. The most accurate one is, uh, I can't remember what it's called, but it's submerging Underwater. yourself in water and running a current through. The reason for this is because fat cells and muscle cells have different um, volumes of uh, fluid in them. Okay. So they will, they have a different resistance when you put the current through. So you can detect not only how much muscle mass you have, you can detect your bone density, and you can detect how much fat you have. Um, so yeah, and what was your second question? <laughs> second question first thing just to cover dexas as well is the that's funny you mentioned that because i'd always thought in the back of my mind i was like mm, what i get a dexa just at the start of this but what i have seen is that i've seen dexas throw up really weird and also very undulating results in different people so for example one of my friends who was very lean did a natural bodybuilding prep uh, wanted all the data and he actually got two different DEXs from two different people at two different labs in pretty similar circumstances so similar water intake food intake on the day etc and the, the results from those two DEXs were pretty different in terms of the body fat that it actually dictated him to be um, and I've seen yeah. this quite frequently so I, I mean my in my my back of my head I've always thrown up the idea that the DEXs have not been that accurate and obviously that that to me sort of backs up that point which is nice um the second point of my question is when it comes to body fat regain i've seen this and i've also seen it in anorexic females that i've worked with that they tend to have some level of different body fat regain that can almost be kind of like abnormal in the way that tissue come fat tissue comes on in weird areas Whereas other areas will look significantly leaner than you'd think when the accumulation of fat in other areas is much higher. Um, another anecdotal thing for me, Connor, just to add to this question is like after my bodybuilding prep in 2015, I regained weight and it all went to areas that were initially the areas that were getting really lean really easily and it would not go on the areas that were stubborn. But as I gained weight and I got to the point where I was at my sort of or above my body fat set point, 
it all leveled out again. So do you have any sort of evidence or research or or ideas behind this this idea that body fat regain and can change fat distribution? Yeah, that's that's a very good question. And you actually then look because um, last year, a friend of mine who back home, he is into this area. He's into the obesity kind of side of things and he actually studies fat distribution. Mm. Um, I'm going to first off and tell you straight away that we still don't know the full underlying mechanisms of why this occurs. But what we do know from my friend back home and in collaboration with a few other professors is that um, when you, the first thing we have to understand is you don't lose fat cells, okay? Okay. Adipocytes don't go away. Okay. What you simply do is it's like having a, um, Morrison's carrier bag, this is your fat cell. You go to Morrison's, you pack it in with loads of groceries, the bag gets bigger. That's gain fat. The same thing happens when you get home, I'm going to put this in the fridge, it's in the cupboard, la, la, la. there we go. So, but you've still got this goddamn carrier bag. This is your fat cell. The fat cells do not go away. What you are doing, believe it or not, is you're actually hypertrophying them. You're okay. filling them up with lipids. So when you're talking about, I'm going to hypertrophy muscles, if you're in this caloric surplus and eating a shitload of carbs, you're also going to hypertrophy your fat cells. The problem arises when you start, your, your fat cells grow and grow and grow in volume. When they reach a certain volume, they then start to multiply. Okay. This is called de novo lipogenesis. This is the serious problem. Because once you have those fat cells, unless you have them liposuction, surgically removed, or, or cryogenically lasered, they're with you for the rest of your life. You will not get rid of them. They, wow. they stay there, which is really sad. So then we'll come out of this concept. Well, hang on a second. Fat, fat redistribution, you said yourself, I lost all this weight, and then it came back on this area and this area. That We don't know the mechanisms to why this occurs. But our most, you know, logical explanation for this is just because this is where your your, your body has got used to storing fat over a long period of time. And if it feels that it's necessary to store fat there, it'll just keep it there. It's more than likely to do with physiology. But my friend who studies this seems to think it's evolutionary. He seems to think that we store fat in certain parts of our body because it's beneficial for what we used to do millions of years ago. Mm. Honest answer is, we're not sure. <laughs> okay. Okay. But the best answer I can give you is that you will store fat in certain areas of your body. This whole concept of that you won't be able to spot, reduce, still stands true. That's yeah. very, very true. You yeah. will not be able to spot, reduce anything. What happens is that fat is lost normally, again, normally, from the extremities and your thoracic region is the last place that your body will get rid of fat. Mm. That's generally. Yeah. Women, obviously, it's different. Men, it's different. But generally, on the whole, that is what we would follow as a, as a principle. In terms of regaining the fat, it, the same principle would be applied. Yeah, absolutely. I think that was a really cool analogy with the with the shopping bag. And that, that actually brings me to sort of like, I'm wondering if you've heard of Lyle McDonald's idea of the the whoosh effect where essentially fat cells let go of potential water that they're holding onto and scale weight drops. So yeah. what, what sort of the, the, the process behind that, just to explain to people when they wake up one morning, they feel suddenly a, that little bit leaner during a fat loss phase and the scale, which hadn't been moving for a week, suddenly drops a pound and a half, two pounds. What's going on there and, and, and why, why do people not really need to worry about that too much? 
Well, that would be, uh, I presume you're talking about um, differences in your diet. Is that what you're trying to get at there? Mm, potentially, I'm more talking about when diet is the same and you're still in the, you're still in a calorie deficit. You just your body weight is stagnant, yet you're noticing changes in the way that you look. And then one day you step on the scale and it responds, so you suddenly drop. Um, this has been categorized or, or named as sort of the whoosh effect, where suddenly scale weight drops. Um, I'm wondering if you sort of heard of that at all. I, I have I have heard of that effect. Um, I would probably say, if I'm not mistaken, that would probably be um, from the concept of beta oxidation, which is um, a lipolysis, which is the metabolism or the oxidization of fat cells. Ah, okay. So as your body responds to your diet yeah and responds to insulin levels again mm. certain hormones are involved in beta oxidation and uh, lipogenesis will utilize and free up the the lipids that are inside fat cells so yeah. human fat consists of 87% lipids mm. whatever excess is you know whatever excess carbohydrates you have obviously shoved into the fat cells so the whoosh effect would explain the concept that if you it would it would most certainly definitely be down to some dietary 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 change i would probably say that there's something that's changed metabolically your body switched okay a reduction in cortisol perhaps cortisol could be the answer to it yes however during fat loss phases cortisol tends to be increased Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, so, which obviously you already know that. Apologies, that was a bit patronising. No, um, no, 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 of course not. Uh, I would probably say that the 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 absolute honest answer is that's a little bit out of my field, and okay. I don't know entirely about it. No, absolutely, that makes total sense. That's that's fine. That's um, you know, it's just something that people are aware of when they're in fat loss phases. You do have fluctuations, drops, etc., and yeah. and something that I do talk about a lot is the the management of cortisol and the the fact that we do have to stay generally low stress through dieting phases because the the increase of cortisol is not something that we want with regards to water retention and fluctuating weigh-ins. So, you know, that's something that I do look to to sort of control as much as we can. So, just to cover, and I know that we're coming up to an hour. Um, I, I think I think we will continue and try and just sort of rumble through these fi- final few topics as much as we can and and hopefully some listeners are are absolutely ravaged by the fact that we're talking about something really cool and something that podcasts don't usually talk about. So when it comes to sort of just generally muscle gain and building as much muscle as possible, what general genetics or genetic factors do influence this? Um, and what do you see in potential really muscular people that you think is a standout factor with regards to genetic factors? Okay, so then this is just building back onto the very beginning of the podcast when we were talking about genetic background, genetic foreground. Yeah. Again, environmental factors, sporty backgrounds are obviously going to increase your type 2 fibers. You're going to have more propensity to build muscle not only at a quicker rate and in a more efficient rate, but you have a higher um, ability to retain it in an event of atrophy or an event of injure yourself, can't get to the gym, your body's more likely to um, to to retain it. 
So yeah, then that's, that's that's entirely based on the principle of hypertrophy, myofibular hypertrophy. There's also another kind of hypertrophy that you, you can induce, which is sarcoplasmic. Sarcoplasmic hypertrophy inv- involves increasing cellular volume, but mostly from um, fluid. Is that from metabolic stress training? It, yeah, yeah, metabolic stress training does induce it. But the thing is, is that sarcoplasmic hypertrophy does not contribute to overall size of lean muscle mass. Is that just it's, like a, and it's an acute effect? It's a very acute effect. Um, you know, it's it, metabolic. It's yeah, it's it's just your muscles' way of trying to get rid of all the metabolites that are built up during the anaerobic stages of um, muscle contraction. Um, interesting things to know about muscle cells that a lot of people don't seem to know, or these scientists like uh, Jim Stepani. Uh, he's a knob, by the way. Um, <laughs> I, I cannot stand him. He's an absolute disgrace to the fitness world. He's a disgrace to science. Hashtag, hashtag cretin call out. <laughs> Mate, I, I would love to meet him I would love to meet him he's got one research paper for his PhD and that's it and he's done no research after that he's an absolute disgrace anyways um, so the interesting thing about muscle cells is that muscle cells don't divide okay so when muscle cells are differentiated they stop dividing mm. so a lot of other cells our skin cells are constantly renewing it's homeostasis basically um, muscle cells don't do this they're called post-mitotic cells so the only way you can get bigger is by hypertrophy if you want to induce more cells that's hyperplasia that's what cancer does and the interesting thing is um is that if you took the hypertrophy mechanism and took it away from the cells and muscle cells were able to grow in size you would actually get very rare forms of muscle cancers mm, from wow. the gym so you were quite lucky that our bodies respond in hypertrophy yeah the history of hypertrophy boils down to um, two aspects I was talking to, uh, which I said I would mention, the the Greeks and also um, a gentleman called um, <clears throat> uh, Thomas DeLorme during World War II took this principle of progressive overload and applied it to um, World War II veterans who had injured themselves and they gradually got stronger and they got better. And then obviously if they didn't die of infection, because obviously antibiotics weren't, uh, weren't introduced until the back end of the war, then obviously they would survive. But then this is where this theory of my theory comes down to, you know, the Greeks. If you were um, a Greek soldier and you have a son, it's very likely your son would be a soldier. These sons were pushed to the absolute limit. And the overload comes from that the son would receive a baby cow for his birthday and he would be forced to carry the cow from the bottom of the hill to the top of the hill where um, Apollo's temple was. Mm. What happens when the cow gets bigger? Wow, it's heavier. A lot heavier. It's heavier. What does the son have to do? Still carry it. Still carry it, so he has to get stronger. He has to hypertrophy. That's where the theory of progressive overload comes from, apparently. Ah, the original Jordan Peters. (laughs) trained by jp yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah that's it but the other thing i want to add in about hypertrophy is you've got to consider that hypertrophy is not based on gaining muscle in terms of increasing protein synthesis okay your, your ability to gain muscle is actually on the basis of preventing proteolysis it's kind of like a switch and it's having 
protein build, uh, protein building muscle synthesis and proteolysis in this hand. You want to stop this. If you stop this, this goes up. Okay? What's proteolysis? Hi. I don't even Sorry? know what it is. What's proteolysis? Proteolysis is the breakdown of proteins into their constituent amino acids. Okay. Okay. Proteolysis is what everybody fears when they do fasting cardio or they have a caloric deficit. Ah, so it's like a catabolic state in a sense. Yes, exactly. Okay. And this 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 concept of losing muscle when you're in a cut is primarily down to two things. Mm-hmm. Carbohydrate intake, your energy levels, and your ability to perform the same intensity in the gym. Yeah, retain lifts. Exactly. You may have heard the term, evolutionary term, use it or lose it. Yes, yep, 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 yep. This applies to this perfectly. Mm -hmm. If you do not go into the gym and apply the same intensity to your muscles, why why would you want to maintain the same stuff? Why would they stay? Believe it or not, you know, there's contribution there's you know a little bit of interference about this but some scientists seem to think that humans are not supposed to be this muscly they're supposed to have a retained amount of muscle to perform functions necessary for their everyday lives Mm. the reason this is you know contradictory is because back in the day we were hunter gatherers we would have to run around a lot we would have to fight mammoths and things like that and you'd have to be quite muscly to do that and you have to be quite muscly in order to build houses and to build you know appropriate you can kind of see where the contradiction comes from. So it's the cons- it is heavy on background. There is no genetic trait that is advantageous to building muscle. It's a combination. Wow. Okay. It's not one. It's a combination of a fair few. Yeah. And again, it's this epigenetics. Whether your genes are activated, you know, you, you can have the genes to build good muscle. Mm. But it's what you do as a kid. Yeah, sure. What do you think of the influence of race on muscle building? We tend to hear this comment of, um, you know, there may well be a a black freak at a bodybuilding show. And I've actually been at bodybuilding shows where there are just freaks. Um, And what I tend to see with um, uh, sort of black individuals is that they have muscle bellies that are incredibly round dense uh, and and full muscle bellies is there any genetic factors that influence this and sort of why why does that happen and and how can i get like that (laughs) (laughs) well the the answer to the question is you can't the answer (laughs) is you have to be born black and you'd have to come up anyway okay yeah believe it or not this this is gonna this might sound a bit odd but um black black people from africa are amazing and i'll tell you why they're amazing because they are the last descents of our common ancestors they are more diverse than white people they have a higher genetic diversity and they're, they're they're just the overall they're better they're not exposed to the westernized diet they're not exposed to crap and they're not exposed to garbage okay now some people might look at simian panda and say he's not natural i'm sorry to say but he probably is wow Wow, that's very, controversial. <laughs> very, very highly, he will, he probably will be natural, and I can tell you that because I have a fair few black friends, not only here at the university but back home, who are into the bodybuilding, and they are in the same. Huge. I, I, yeah, I, I'd like to shout out a guy called Nate Williams, who's like twenty five, twenty six years old, and the guy is absurd, like blow you away, absurd. 
he competed as a junior and just won everything and won his pro card and he's natural and he's just absolutely yeah. insane. 100. So I, I do see that. I do see that. Yeah, there will be 100%. I'm sorry to say, but, you know, African African people, uh, that heritage, they will have better, they will have genetics more suited to that. You know, they're not exposed to, to this genetic garbage that we as Caucasians have, you know, uh, inherited. We've lost a lot of skin pigmentation genes things that are they still retain it unfortunately if you're black you know you're going to be better at this sort of stuff you're going to be better at fitness straight away look at all the best sprinters in the world they win black. at fitness mm-hmm. <laughs> they win at fitness they, they, they do it's just because they're not exposed to the genetic crap that us caucasians are that's mm. just what it boils down yeah. and yes black people black people are um, I actually, I actually have a black housemate. He's probably got a cut up to the door. He's probably like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, in 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 to conclude that statement, black black people have, you know, genetics that are more suited to to the fitness aspect. Um, again, heavily on environmental factors. Okay. Sure, incredible. Yeah, and I think you know, it, it, it's almost like you can cl- see it clear as day. Uh, I had. I had a friend at school and I'm sure that everyone that listens to this can relate. You know, there's probably that one friend at school that was just jacked and he didn't do anything. You know, he might have done a few push-ups at home, but those push-ups at home would have developed this god like humongous chest out of nowhere that you're like, yeah. "Wait, I do 100 push-ups every night. I do more push-ups than you and I manage my diet better than you, but but you be you're bigger than me." Like it's just um these people that like just like sit there genetically and they have this just foundation to build tons of muscle mass before they've even touched weights properly. So, yeah, it's very interesting. Um, okay, so to dus- discuss final topics, again, when it comes to the nutrition side of things, people tend to say that they feel like they found the diet that, that works for them or that, that they respond to. It's the same with training. Like females or males will say, oh, I, I feel like I, I really respond well to this or I feel, I, I feel like this works for me. When it comes to nutrition, is there any sort of genetic factors that influence what works and what doesn't for some individuals? And, and is there anything to support why someone should be high carb or why someone should be ketogenic dieting? Uh, is there anything you can expand on with regards to that? Yes, um, absolutely. Um, again, this is individual, mm. uh, not one size fits all. So this is this is kind of a little, little small issue that you know personal trainers like yourself might run into is that you might prescribe a protocol for one person with this diet that works really really well for them and you've like literally hit the nail on the head, but then you might um, apply this one to somebody else, something a little bit similar, and then you might get a response back saying, "Well, hang on a second, I thought I was supposed to be losing weight, but I'm actually gaining weight." Gain weight. Yeah, 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 yeah. Totally normal. You know, this is totally normal, and it, it comes back to this concept of you know, it's individual ability to utilize nutrients. Everybody's different. And again, it's very, very heavily genetic. And um, there, there has been, you know, studies done on certain variants of genes associated with nutrient partitioning that are different in individuals that are, you know, more likely to gain fat, you know, are, are more likely to stay, stay lean all day, all day, <laughs> all year. You know, so it does, there, there are, there are, um, is that a lot of foreground as well when it comes to 
kids that have just sat down and yeah. not played sports etc they're more likely to just be the individuals that struggle to get lean and struggle to potentially um get to those very very lean levels of conditioning like would be required for a natural bodybuilding show etc yeah no that's that is very true yeah epigenetics do the foreground yeah again naturally do um play a heavy role in it and i can vouch for that on myself because i'm a prime example of this I, 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 you know, I do struggle to lose weight. I was overweight when I was younger. Um, the, the prep, you know, it was hard for me to try and lose weight because, uh, you know, it's just something that I hadn't done before, despite the fact after 22 years of being on planet Earth, I was the leanest that I'd ever been, and I achieved that. Um, but yes, 100%, you know, there's, there's, there's no, it's incontrovertible that, you know, genetic factors in terms of environmental influences, what you do as a kid at the critical age is going to influence you and your ability to metabolize and utilize nutrients. This is why some people like yourself can eat 600 grams of carbohydrates and not gain a single pound, whereas someone like me would. Um, you know, this this is it. But, you know, we also believe that there's differences in hormone levels, you know, insulin and the, the the constituent hormones that do play a role in it as well because your genetics will mirror that, okay. you know. Um, so that's, there's, there's no, there's no in and out of it really, to be fair. Mm, yeah, 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 yeah. No, that makes total sense. I think that, you know, when it comes to dieting down, um, people tend to have, issues with regards to just their how they feel at certain stages in the diet and i've had clients that will you know potentially hit a wall at a weird stage where i might find it easier to break through that wall and this is what we sort of come back to when it comes to sort of that that body fat set point idea um and i found again with sort of from a nutrition point of view you'll find that some individuals will have to get calories exceedingly low whereas some can diet on much higher calories and this is this again boils down to i know that a lot of people will be screaming at the at the top of their the top of their voice saying neat or energy expenditure and i've actually seen it with people that have, have very similar energy expenditures or neat or doing very similar levels of cardio and weight training that are dieting on very different calories um and that obviously primarily is going to be factored in as a result of genetic factors because that's the only thing left to determine their caloric their caloric intake right yeah well 100 percent. you know i know i know you've had um jeff nipped on here before and i know he turned around and said that you know when we talk about resistance training anything to do with weightlifting and fitness it's uh, i think he quoted about 50 to 80 percent of it is genetic mm. I, I i wouldn't agree with that i would say that it is very highly genetic if it's not above 90 percent, i would be amazed okay uh, you know it is entirely it is entirely genetic because you know i have a tattoo in my arm here that says genetics are the body's blueprints and you know, I got that because that is a true fact. Your genetics are your body's blueprints. So when you're talking about the differences between people and their, their total daily expenditures and the needs and things like that, it will entirely boil down to that concept. So then if we apply that concept to a scenario, let's take two two individuals, okay? So we have two two young, two, two individuals. One comes from a background of, you know, playing sports, rugby, things like that. 
then we have another one who comes from a background of you know being quite academic in school does the odd kind of fitness but you know they have differences okay mm. person a is more likely to retain remain quite lean all year round person b might have a little bit of a struggles what's the differences between that well it is entirely because a has a stimulus mm. this is the thing that it boils down to and you know it, it it's it's stimulus okay if you're not if you go into the gym and you're not sore the next day it's highly unlikely you're gonna hypertrophy, unfortunately. This is quite an interesting thing, and this is what some people seem to think, and even Jim Stepani counteracted this one. He says, you can go to the gym, as long as you've got the stimulus, you're gonna grow. That's not how it works. You, you know, you, you, you need to, you need, your, your muscles need to have a stimulus, mm. and the stimulus comes from the microtraumas. If you're sore the next day, then there's a good guarantee that you will hypertrophy because you're giving your muscles the 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 stimulus. Adaptive resistance. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So then if that was the case, then why is it that I can't sit in this chair and hypertrophy? Why can't I grow? Mm. Well, because I'm not doing anything. I'm yeah. sitting here talking to you. I'm waving my arms around. You know, yeah. it's not going to do shit. Yeah. You know, you need, to go, you need to go in the gym, you need to do this, 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 this. You need to make sure that you're kind of, prog- okay, progressing, okay, that's fine. You know, your log booking, I'm obviously an advocate of that as well. Yeah. But you want to be, you know, aiming to at least feel some sensitivity in your muscles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I do agree with that. I do agree with that to an extent. I think that there there is controversy or, or controversial opinions on the idea of should you be sore and how sore should you be? I yeah. think the balance is you should have an element of soreness um, and you should be able to feel like you've trained and know the muscle group that you, when you wake up, you get out of bed and you you step you step out of bed you should know what you've trained the last day i think that's important i I do agree with that um but i think the the notion that you should feel fucked and completely destroyed and be able to not walk or to not uh lift the barbell off the floor because your back's so ridiculously sore is um it is silly and then that's almost a sign that you're potentially doing something wrong um i i think that you know, again, the the idea is that you should be feeling an element of soreness, but a soreness that allows you to be ready for the next session. Um, and that's obviously going more into programming and the ability to make sure that your uh, your your sessions are set up in a way that allows you to progress and recover in between each one. So, you know, I think I think we've covered a, a huge amount here, Connor. Um, and you know, I think that uh, listeners are going to take away a lot from this and and learn some new stuff for sure. So, um, if, if listeners want to sort of like uh, I guess sort of keep in touch with you and potential content that you might release in the future. Just, just let them know where they can go, or, 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 for example, if they wanted to ask you a specific question, obviously they can leave it in the in the comment section below. But is there any way uh, they, they they could contact you or, or follow you further? Just go ahead and sort of note any any places they can go. Uh, yeah, if if any if anybody is interested in in learning more um, about what, what what I've learned about the sides of fitness, there there are many platforms you can you can always um, follow my Instagram. Uh, which is just uh, Connor Ross one two three four five. You'll know it's mine straight away because my entire feed is literally full of signs. I think there's about four pictures of me from the SPC, and that's it. Mm. The rest of it's crammed with signs. If anybody else wants a more personal um, account, they're more than welcome to reach me on my email address, which I could probably give you, and you could probably put in the 
description box below. Absolutely. I'm more than happy to um, accept uh, requests from that. Um, I, you know, I'm always open to other p people's opinions. What I'm not open to are people's blind opinions. Hmm. Okay, you're not willing to learn. Yeah, what I mean by blind opinions are people who are going to email me and say, well, this is wrong, but I don't come from a science background and I know fuck all about science. <laughs> or I've read that Jim Stepani said I should take this. Why would you say not? <laughs> you know, there we go. So, yeah, yeah, you can, anybody is more than willing to contact me on, on either of them, and I am absolutely more than happy to answer the questions. But. That aside, I, I obviously have my podcasts that I will be doing soon, um, and there will be a huge fitness section on that, and I'm going to be talking about absolutely everything in detail. Okay, they might be 40 minutes long, but like I'm going to take chunks of information. I'm, I'm literally just going to, you know, go to talk. town on it. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, awesome. Well, in the future, when that's out, mate, make sure you give me all the links to it, and and I'll put them in this podcast just for anyone that that crumbs across the the sort of the podcast later on in 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 the cycle of things uh yeah. but yeah thank you very much for your time connor i really appreciate it um i hope that your your studies continue to go as successfully as they are and you continue to enjoy everything and then uh for the listener as well like if you do have like i said any questions please leave them in the comment section below uh, and likewise sort of like the video if you did enjoy this episode and and firmly dislike it if you if you're a jim stepani six week shred supporter uh, and then and then also just sub, sub, subscribe to the channel um for future episodes we've got some exciting ones coming out um i have organized and scheduled them so we will be back to a, a weekly episode and i will stick to that but yeah thanks guys for hanging around for an hour and 20 love you lots and uh we will we will see you in the next episode cheers connor thanks very much